This is a Bergen Film Club podcast. Like an old movie removed from frame, I am floating and looking for someone to blame. Won't you project me on the walls of your heart? Hello, and welcome to The Real Thing. I am your host, Joel Lawrence, and it's great to have you here. Welcome, welcome back. Uh, Here we go on another exciting episode of The Real Thing, episode 7. This podcast is an extension of Bergen Film Club, which is an independent cinema in Bergen, Norway. The film club's main goal is giving a voice to those who deserve it, revealing insights into unknown cultures, and showing awesome, cool, fantastic movies. In this podcast, I talk about the films that are included in the film club's extensive program of movies, past, present, and future. And today, we are talking about the 1955 Charles Lawton film, The Night of the Hunter, Night of the Hunter, Night of the Hunter. It's, wow, I'm really excited for this episode, uh, for you guys to listen to it. Um, going to try and keep the intro short because uh the interview uh that we have today is meaty and juicy and delicious and full of amazing good content words and listenable chunks so it's a soup of good content basically so i'm excited for that uh it's good we're in the podcast groove we're in the uh it feels like a long time since i last podcasted for some reason but it was only a week ago so um yeah in terms of uh, housekeeping or kind of uh, BFK news, we're on uh, Easter break right now, so no upcoming films, but, you know, perfect time to take a break from life and just chill, um, revel in our fake Christian holiday and just have a good time, maybe catch up on some episodes of this podcast, other podcasts. The one thing that I wanted to uh, get off my chest before we get started, uh, you listen to this episode right now, you're listening to it right now, uh, not to get meta, but uh, the intro, who is created by our wonderful collaborator, singer, songwriter, music legend, Wise John, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he put out a new song uh, called Atlanta, which is part of his... Uh, upcoming EP which I believe comes out in April so definitely go check that out I will uh I'll link it in the show notes and I'll also link it on our Instagram which if you don't follow is at the real thing pod and yeah go check him out because uh he create like from having created this intro and his little uh transitionary and the outro which I love uh the podcast would be nothing without wise John so Go check him out if you haven't already. He's a great guy and he's a very talented musician and he makes amazing music. Uh, and I'm totally coming at this from the place of a fan because I generally am a very big fan of that man. So yeah, he's a W-I-S-E John with an H official on Instagram and Wise John on Spotify or whatever streaming service you use. So yeah, I'm really excited to hear that. Uh, But before we get into that, again, thank you, Wise John, and let's get into some recommendations before we get going. Uh, Like I said, I'm going to keep it nice and short on the recommendations, so I'm just going to breeze through this. Uh, In terms of podcasts, I'm, I mean, I stay listening to the ones that I've already recommended, but I think that I haven't recommended an exactly right media podcast called tenfold more wicked i've talked about the host of this podcast she is kate winkle dawson and this is how she got her podcast start i believe on this tenfold more wicked show essentially she takes a historic true crime and she tells the story of it over a season on a podcast so like six seven eight episodes And I've learned about some really really cool true crime cases and you learn a lot about history and once again, 
it's Kate Winkler Dawson who is just this podcast legend and she's such an amazing writer and storyteller so that's what I'm listening to right now the new season is called um, The Morphine Murderess so that's season 8 it's about a woman who poisoned her family in 1910s New Orleans and the previous season was about a character a man called Eugene Burt who may or may not have killed his entire family um but yeah go check that out that's 10 for more wicked on exactly right media uh in terms of films uh i've been been getting those post current pre-spring winter blues and i just watched kiki's delivery service yesterday with my friend valerie and that was great i'm feeling so much better I love that film. I love Ghibli movies so much anyway, but yeah, I'm recommending Kiki's Delivery Service because it is very cozy and I think it really, it's all about kind of like artistic passion and I think that you can say that the film is really about suffering from burnout and the kind of repercussions that can have when there's something that you're so passionate about, maybe you get kind of like a mental block with and you kind of realize who am I without my passion, without my dedication. Um, which I know that I I feel that on a daily basis I at least have a three hour period every day when I'm like unable to do anything but uh, it reminds you, the film reminds you that everything passes even good times, bad times everything comes and goes and you're not really defined by that so it's a beautiful movie and definitely go check that out so yeah so those are my little short uh, recommendations. I'm going to say Wise John, Wise John's new EP, uh, which comes out in April. Tenfold More Wicked, which I really recommend. That's some first class, world class podcasting from Kate Winkler Dawson and Kiki's Delivery Service. So let's jump ahead into, or jump into the past, to 1955, for the film that BFK just showed uh, a couple of weeks ago. Today we are talking about. Night of the Hunter. So, yes, here we are to talk about Night of the Hunter, a 1955 American film noir thriller directed by the legendary Charles Lawton. The screenplay was written by James G and based on the 1953 novel of the same name by Davis Grubb. Uh, this was the first time that I saw this film at Bergen Film Club and I do not think that I would have seen it otherwise so I'm so glad that it was included in the program. Uh, I loved this film, it was so cool and I won't get into it now because you're going to hear that uh, me repeating myself that I love this film in the interview uh, that I mentioned is great. Today we're joined again by uh, Bendik Vixness, who is a fellow board member of the film club, um, and he this is his favorite film ever, so he was a great guest to have to talk very passionately about this film. But first I'm going to give you some context, and I should say that this is a not spoiler-free uh, episode of The Real Thing. Today we are going to be talking a lot about the plot of this film, namely just how great it is. So. Just a warning if you haven't seen it, but let's start with some context. So, the plot of this film essentially is that there is this reverend called Harry Powell, who is a serial killer and self-proclaimed creature, preacher, he is also a creature, traveling along the Ohio River in West Virginia during the Great Depression. He's then arrested for driving a stolen car and has to spend 30 days in prison when he just luckily happens to share a cell with Ben Harper, who is on death row for killing two men in a bank robbery for $10,000. Uh, ben made his children, John and Pearl, swear to never reveal where he hid the money. Um, and basically, this is just uh, Harry Powell, the Reverend's perfect opportunity. He's going to get another widow, and now he gets the chance to get $10,000 if he's able to find out where the money is hidden. So he fakes his whole story and returns once um, 
once Ben Harper is dead, he is released from prison and he goes to this family. He woos the wife. He totally charms the town, but the kids are very suspicious. And the film is sort of told from the, f- the children's perspective. And I guess that's all I'll say about it now because uh, me and Bendik talked a lot more about it. Um, but I think uh, let's have some little background about the reception and this very kind of interesting and sad history of this film. So when it was first released, it was very negatively received. Uh, but since then, it's been posi- positively reevaluated and is now considered to be one of the greatest films ever made. But due to the poor reception, Night of the Hunter happens to be the only film that Charles Lawton ever directed, which is very sad because, as I say, me and Bendit came to talk about it, this film is incredible. Like, it's very, very good. And I think just in the filmmaking and the directing, I th- it's just some of the best camera work and directing and scene shooting that I've ever seen in a, in a film, honestly. So that's really sad that it was the only film that he directed. There's just so many things happened since then, like in 1992, the film was selected for a preservation in the United States National Film Registry. Um, an influential French film magazine, Cahiers du Cinéma, selected it in 2008 to be the second best film of all time, only behind uh, Citizen Kane. So it's all very sad that Charles Lawton never got to see how amazing his film was. He was a British actor and one-time director. He was trained in the London Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts and first appeared on stage in 1926. And uh, and this uh, institute has churned out many other amazing actors such as uh, Alan Rickman, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Matthew McFadden and thousands more. And he was an incredible actor. He uh, played in a wide range of classical and modern roles and made a very remarkable impact in Shakespeare's plays at the Old Vic Theatre and he won uh, Oscar for his betrayal of the title character in The Private Life of Henry VII in 1933. So that's uh, a little summary of the film and like I said, such a shame that he was uh, so disheartened that he never made a film again but I suppose when you make a film you really put your heart out on the line and just to have everyone stamp all all over it I can understand that that's a little bit disheartening. But let's uh, get going into the episode, into the interview. Here is me talking to Bendik all about the marvel of Night of the Hunter. Hello, Bendik. Hello, Joe. Thank you very much for coming back on the podcast. It's really nice to be back. Yeah, it's at this point, I am almost the face of Belgian Film Club in this podcast. I wouldn't go that far. Almost. Almost, yeah. Yes. I was just going to say, uh, it's nice to have you back after you demanded to be back. Well, yes, I did demand, but that mm-hmm. was because you planned to do this episode alone. And I think The Night of the Hunter is such a great film. It deserves to be discussed by two people. Sure. Not just one Gen C <laughs> person who watched it for the first time. Fair enough. Yes. That's, um, that is absolutely fair enough. I think that the millennial input is a missing voice. So, exactly yeah I'm, I'm giving the like bergen film clubs um bylaw that it's important to give a voice to those who deserve it the elderly <laughs> if you if you will the millennials are missing missing a voice we the are the, yeah. the board is getting younger and younger mm-hmm. and it's scary yeah yeah you'll, you'll soon be phased out i'm sure i will yeah yeah i'm closing in on my tenure but we're not here to um Cancel Bendik yet. Once uh, your podcast gets a bigger <laughs> following, <laughs> I'll probably be cancelled. Yeah. But right now, you're <laughs> only talking to me and the two listeners. So. <laughs> Ouch, okay. <laughs> okay <I'm joking. laughs> I actually have four. No. Um, we're here to talk about Night of the Hunter. We are. 1955 Charles Lawton yes. movie. This is Bendik's favorite movie, as I've been told. You're correct. By Bendik. By me, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> it is my favorite movie. Why is it your favorite movie? Because it's one of those movies that just has the perfect vibe. It's a dark fairy tale mm-hmm. horror film told through the eyes of children. Mm-hmm. And it has one of the best villains in cinema history. Yeah. If not the greatest villain 
in cinema history. I'm struggling to come up with anyone that can compare. I'm thinking of a lot. Are you? Yeah. (laughs) Who? Um, Hall from 2001 A Space Odyssey is pretty scary. That's like the movie geek answer. Like the snobby response. Um, The egg from... Um, Puss in Boots one. <laughs> He's pretty scary. Okay, this is not going to yeah, where okay. I, I, I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Su- it was supposed to go. Mm. The fact is that Harry Powell, Reverend Hall- Harry Powell, played by the great, great Robert Mitchum, mm-hmm. is one of the great cinema villains. Yes, he was very. He good. is so insidious, and he's so sneaky, and mm-hmm. so charming, and so funny, and also so scary, yeah. and so evil. And there's no line he won't cross to get his uh, to get his money. Yeah, even killing children. Yeah, so far he's only killed widows. Widows. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's uh, the whole movie is. You know, I d- I got to the reason why I like the movie also because the most important reason is the visuals. It's yes, visually yeah. one of the most spectacular movies I've ever seen. The images, which multiple people have pointed out, you know, the visual style was inspired by the German Expressionism. Yep. And it just creates this atmosphere throughout the whole film that just envelops you. Yeah. And like I said, it's a horror movie told through the eyes of a child, uh, meaning that it has this sort of innocence to it. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of explain a lot of what happens in the film, what stuff that you kind of would maybe see as hokey yeah or or uh, st- like overly stylistic you can explain that by the fact that this is happening through the eyes of the two leads those two children and that we're experiencing through their recollection almost mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a fantasy you can imagine this movie being like a nightmare you dreamt as a child i also like that the movie is really funny it is funny yeah it, it has is some funny fun moments <clears throat> yeah and that probably because it's directed by charles lawton who yeah was an actor mm-hmm. he was british like you yes yes don't you don't have to do i don't have to do the accent no it's fine oh because <laughs> a lot of norwegians like to do the accent oh yeah yeah my mother likes to do that when she goes to england she's oh thank you so much <laughs> which is cringe i believe colina would have used yeah to describe i would it. also say it's cringe it's cringe yeah, yeah. it's definitely cringe Carolina. but anyway mm. charles lawton he was an actor mm-hmm and as you probably explained in the intro, he only directed this one film. And yeah. I checked out his filmography before this pod, and I've only seen him in one film. Oh, yeah? Yes. But he's played in, like, a bunch. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen him in a movie called Witness for the Prosecution, directed by Billy Wilder, mm-hmm. where he plays... I think he def- plays a defense attorney. Yeah. I should have checked that beforehand, but I'm pretty sure that's what he plays. And he is so good in that film. Mm. The movie is um, based on a play by Agatha Christie. And it has that sort of British sense of humor. And he is, he steals the film. He's so funny. So I imagine that a lot of the humor he brought to that role is probably a lot what he was like in real life. Mm -hmm. I imagine. And then he probably brought a lot of the same humor to this film. Because there's so many like little touches that are just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, like one of my favorite moments is the first scene <clears throat> where the children are introduced to Harry Powell. He's sitting there uh, with Pearl on his lap yep. and talking to the mother and this these, this elderly couple, uh, Walt and I forget her name for some reason. Yeah, I forget too. Yeah, the uh, older lady. Mm-hmm. And um, he's doing his shtick. He's doing his spiel. Um using religion and all that to kind of blind their eyes. Yep. And and they're like swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. They are so fascinated by him. Yeah. And <laughs> and you can tell that the uh, the old uh, lady, I want to find out what her name is. We can't just keep calling her <laughs> the old lady. Uh, let's see here. Walt's mom. <laughs> no, she has a name. Willa. 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 No, that's not. That's the mother. Um, let's see here. If this becomes bad radio, you can just uh, edit out. Um, yeah. 
or it could be fun like a sort of behind the scenes let's see here okay yeah it's even better that you're underwriting it the whole time exactly yeah icy spoon her name is icy 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 okay yes it's played by evelyn warden mm. she's great i think yes she's, she, she is very funny she's really funny yeah and you can tell from her look <laughs> during the whole scene that she's so spitten by him mm -hmm. she really loves him yeah and then at the end of the scene she's stirring this pot and just at the end of the scene the pot starts boiling yeah <laughs> and it's <laughs> perfect comedy yeah it's like it's the kind of uh, like i'm doing air quotes like racy comedy like hitchcock would do mm -hmm. like the way he hitchcock ended north by northwest by having Cary grant and eva marie saint climbing up into the bed and then on the train and then he ends with a shot of the train going into a tunnel it's yeah. a kind of like sexual yeah. disguised sexual humor yeah which is so funny in these mm -hmm. old films where they couldn't show it but they some of the best directors knew how to yeah, sneak yeah. in these jokes i really like that just the whole kind of that comedy doesn't need to be something that's like absent from a film just because it's like a horror or a drama that that's something that I, I think probably why i like so many of these 40s and 50s films personally is because it almost includes every genre in one film but like it's just a film like it's a wonderful life is like such a depressing film if you like really think yeah. about that obviously it has a very hopeful ending but that's very depressing but there's like a lot of humor and a lot of darkness a lot of like even romance and stuff in in that film and i think that's also what i felt and one of the reasons why i liked night the hunter so much is because it had these comedy elements because to me it makes it feel like more real more like it's a real story happening to real people whereas i feel like a lot of horrors and thrillers for example very much stay on one level yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah definitely and it's uh i think it's kind of <clears throat> it's kind of unusual for its time the way it mixes genres yeah um for sure uh at least in the way it incorporates like more what you would call art house elements into it making it like more of a stylistic piece sure. where at the same time being both funny and as you say pretty horrifying because the yeah. baseline story is pretty dark like harry yeah. powell traveling the country and he he kills these um you know, widows and mm -hmm. steals their money and yeah he's like he's clearly portrayed as um like i just want to briefly just pay homage to robert mitchum before we go further yeah, because yeah, okay. he's he's it. one of the great hollywood actors mm -hmm. and he's such a legend and he's he you know he played a lot of different different roles uh, yeah. through the years like he played uh, the philip marlowe the raymond chandler detective in quite a few films in at least two films and he also played like in great westerns such as el dorado yeah and he played um in one of my favorite film noirs out of the past and he could play both villain and uh, hero yeah. equally well. He was mm -hmm. one of those actors who could do both. And, you know, he's also famous for being the original Max Cady in uh, Cape Fear, the original Cape Fear directed by J. Lee Thompson from uh, early 60s. Okay. Well, he's really scary. You yeah. could even argue he's more scary than Robert De Niro in the remake. Really? Yes. I didn't he's really scary in the, in the original one. Mm. Yeah, and the, re the remake is subverts a lot of the elements from the... So Robert Mitchum is cast in the remake as well. He plays the opposite of what he plays in the original. He plays a cop Oh yeah, okay. in the uh, remake. That's fun. Yes, that's really fun. But Robert Mitchum, he, he was one of these, these actors who could do both. But I uh, do think that he peaked with oh, Night yeah. of the Hunter. I think Night of the Hunter is his best performance because he's... He's able to create this villain, the smarmy villain that you just love to hate. He's yeah. so sneaky, but he's so magnetizing. You can't take your eyes off him. Mm -hmm. You're almost like icy spoon with the pot when you look at him. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and back to the character of Harry Powell. He is like, w I hadn't watched it in a while. When I watched it yesterday, I was excited to think if, to see if it was still my favorite film. Yeah. And I remember that I thought maybe Harry Powell is a hypocrite. Like he just, um, he uses the religion more as a tool and that he's not actually religious himself. But it's clear from very early that not only does he believe, he's mm -hmm. very devout, yeah, but he also hates women. 
Yeah. At least he hates the effect women has on him. There's like this early yeah, scene yeah. where he observes this um, dancer, this um, I won't say stripper, but at least this uh, dancer in uh, mm-hmm. light clothing, <laughs> and the, the camera kind of zooms down, and he he he, he uh, ties his fists and he puts his fist in his pocket, and the knife protrudes coincidentally from between his legs. Yes, like this phallic symbol. Mm-hmm. And there's the scene later where after he marries the the mother of the kids, yeah. she tries to offer herself to him, if you will. Yeah, on their wedding night. On their wedding night, yeah. as you would. And uh, he refuses her Yeah, and tells her that she was meant to raise children. Her body was not meant for the lust of men. Yeah, yeah that's tough. <laughs> Which is a really hor- horrible scene. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable. It is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go the way you thought it would go. You'd think that he'd he'd probably take advantage of her and then yeah, kill her, but sure. he, yeah. he doesn't. No. He's he's really um, so he's one of those, those uh, the, the scariest kind of evil priests, the ones that actually believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So many serial killers think that they're <laughs> being moved by God. So yeah, exactly. Doesn't uh, stand too far out of reality, I think. Yeah, but exactly. he definitely plays that character really well. There are some genuinely scary moments hmm. uh especially with his like more so with his interaction with the children i feel like not that it's bad when adults die but uh there's more at stake when a children is when a child is being threatened exactly by such, knowing what this character has like previously done i think it's quite scary especially i felt quite like uncomfortable when he was with this uh pearl the young daughter hmm. that was uh definitely scary yeah you can hear that he hurts her before the mother storms in. yeah so he uh, he doesn't care about any of this he's completely no. cynical and um just uh, the money is just what he wants yeah that's what he wants yeah he's uh completely um evil and that's also one of the things that kind of surprised me about the film um given that it's from the 50s <clears throat> and this movie certainly does have like this really overtly happy ending which i'm sure we'll come to it eventually but yeah um so it does wrap things up in the way you'd expect from a 50s movie yeah. because they had all these things they had to adhere to like the Hayes code that put certain limits on what they could show and not show and stuff yeah um and um, one of the things also is that usually you'd have to have like sort of happy endings even though of course there was a lot of noir movies coming out at the time that had like tragic endings but yeah one of the things I did not expect what, what, uh, when I watched it the first time, I thought that the mother would survive, that somehow yeah, she too. would, that he would chase the children because I knew the movie was about him chasing these children, but I assumed that the children would run away and he would go after them and the mother would be left in the house. Yeah. So I think it's like a really cynical plot twist mm-hmm. when he kills her as well because yeah. they just lost their father and they get bullied for it. Yes by those other evil children at the school mm-hmm. and then they also lose their mother so that these yeah. children go through some really tough times yeah but just speaking about the dead mom that shot of her in the water is so incredible i couldn't like it, it was kind of hard me hard for me to realize that that was happening knowing that it's a 50s film to yeah. have this really like a shot that i would say would stand up having been made this year like of the dead body in a car underwater oh definitely was, i mean yeah it was incredible it's it's one of the best shots ever yeah it's so so beautiful to look at and mm-hmm. well. it's um well it's darkly <laughs> darkly beautiful if you will <laughs> with the hair and the mm. seaweed flowing side by side <laughs> but it's it's like the type of shot that you would think like someone like um park chan wook yeah would yeah. do mm-hmm. he, you could totally see him do that yeah in fact I'd argue that you know he must have been inspired by Night of the Hunter. Yeah. Some of those visuals, like at least what he put in Stoker and uh, yeah, his American film. There was so much in this film that I felt that you can recognize from films since, like, uh, like spoiler, like with the <laughs> uh, the dad hiding the money in the doll. Mm. Like I can't put my finger on where I've seen something like that before, but I've definitely seen stuff like that. I just yeah, yeah, felt yeah. like you can see that so many filmmakers have been inspired by this mm. film but it's because it's so good and fun fact okay. the guy who plays the dad mm. also plays the captain in my favorite comedy of all time airplane 
No way. He, yeah, he's the one who harasses the little kid and say, Joey, <laughs> do you like to hang out in gymnasiums? Yeah. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? Yeah. It's that guy. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's fun. He has this like really theatrical way of acting. Like he's from a, he a different school of acting than the rest of them. Yeah. So at the beginning of the film, that's kind of like the weakest part. That was quite noticeable. With his, uh, his acting was very... Uh, yeah, because I think he's from dramatic. a previous generation. It's kind of like the same thing that happened here in Norway with the transition from actors who were trained in the classical theater to the new forms of training. So you'll see when you see Norwegian films, you'll see some Norwegian actors that are trained in the classical style and they're often a lot more like theatrical mm -hmm. than the more naturalistic sure. acting techniques of the new generation. But back to what you said about the influences. Um, one of the other things that you can see is um, pa Harry Powell has um, tattoos on his uh, hands of yeah. love and hate. Yeah. And Spike Lee took that into his famous film, Do the Right Thing, mm. where there's a character who goes around with love, hate, and he mm -hmm. has the same monologue as Harry Powell. He oh, really? this hand that, yeah, yeah, he does the same. Wow, shtick. okay. Yeah. Very cool. And, you know, like the director that I keep trying to put in the program that they never let me, William Friedkin. It's his favorite movie of all time, Night oh, of the okay. Hunter. Yeah, so he was really influenced by it. Very cool. At least it used to be, unless he's updated his list. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it used to be It's his been favorite. a while since you've talked to him. It's been a while since yeah, I've okay. talked to him, yeah. Um, but you wanted to talk about the chase scene. Yes, we've yeah. covered the, the um, First, beautiful... Third scene where yeah. the mother dies mm. um, which was I, at least partially is done practical yeah at least partially they have an actress holding her breath yeah in those shots yeah I which means that just to achieve that one shot he had to put them her in a tank yeah and like shoot it i mean imagine the work he had to do just to get that yeah, shot it was incredible and just the way his mind were that he was able to think like that and um, you can tell that i'm i mean i don't know much about his schooling but mm. you can tell that he loves films and yeah. has pr obviously seen a lot. But first, yeah, let's um, let's talk about once he's killed the mother and you know that now these poor children are alone with him yeah. in the house mm -hmm. and he, he goes in there to... They have no... Basically, they have no way of escaping now. They're, yeah. they're alone with that guy. Mm -hmm. And there's this scene in the cellar where they he finally figures out that the, the monies are in the, the money is in the doll. Yeah. And they thwart him, Home Alone style, by uh, yeah. kicking over that uh, shelf. So mm -hmm. he gets those potatoes in his head or whatever it is. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Like, he makes this weird noise. And uh, yeah. he's, he's like a really pathetic creature once he's get, yeah. he gets uh, subjected to any kind of pain. He's really pathetic. As serial killers often are. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but then they escape. And then there's, yeah. there's this great shot when they're running up the stair. And he's yeah, chasing them. Yeah. You can see him with both his hands mm. outstretched like a monster coming out from the mm -hmm. darkness. And that is straight out of, again, a kid's nightmare. Like when yeah. you were a kid and you were scared to go down into the cellar and you go quick back, at least I did, I mm. run up the stairs again. And that's exactly what I would picture in my mind. But then they keep running. They get no help from that alcoholic uncle. No, he's he just falls out for over. the count. He's out for yeah. the count. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <clears throat> so they escape in the boat and as they escape Harry almost catches them and he releases this guttural scream yeah as they kind of escape from him mm -hmm. really slowly on the boat I might add <laughs> he could yeah. probably just but he, he walk, probably, probably but didn't want to get his uh, very probably nice didn't want to get wet. wet yeah yeah probably yeah um, he wears it for the rest of the film so yeah he does he probably didn't it's probably get hot and humid down there in the yeah. south but um, once that kicks off you get this wonderful, surreal, beautiful sequence mm -hmm. of these children going down that stream. And all these wonderful shots of the starlight sky and the the fauna, <laughs> if you will, all the animals. Yeah, and there's a lot of animals. Yeah, it's yeah, a like lot that. of animals, which creates this fairy tale mood again. Yeah. And Pearl is singing this uh, song. Yeah, that was really beautiful. It's just such a striking... Yeah. wonderful scene and everybody who loves this film always brings up that se sequence yeah because it's um, it's the moment where I realized that this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen the first time I watched it really yeah it's mm. just like wow this is so beautiful 
Yeah. I think it's really accessible. If you aren't used to black and white films, this is a good place to start. Yeah, but the story is The story is really so easy to follow. It's yeah. really good. It has a good, strong villain, and yeah. <clears throat> it's it's not that dated, even though we have talked about there's some hokey elements here and there. Mm. It's a um, pretty easy movie to follow, and it's funny, yeah. scary, all that stuff. But, but yeah, once we get to this um, sequence, we also follow... Uh, like this this funny sequence again with the 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 older couple where they blame uh, gypsies for uh yeah <coughs> killing a dude and stealing his horse and then there's the next shot we see harry powell riding <laughs> on, the on the horse yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um he's riding a pale horse obviously death rides a pale horse oh. yeah and um i'm not familiar with the death law you're not familiar with the bible no yeah, because that's where I my expertise come into play because I'm from the south of Norway. Yeah. It's called the Bible Belt. Yeah. And I grew up with a lot of these congregations. Mm-hmm. Not in one, mind you. Yeah. Because my father's an atheist. Yeah. But congregation adjacent. There was yeah, my friends were in congregations. Mm-hmm. And I knew some I knew about some of these leaders of these congregations and some of them they're not as bad as Harry Powell, obviously. They don't kill children. <laughs> so there's a limit they haven't crossed yeah. but some of them are dicks yeah, some okay. of them are harry powell adjacent because they're religious but yeah. they are complete assholes as long because they only like you as long as you do exactly what they want you to do yeah anyone and they show their name? hypocrisy so easy huh anyone you want to name i don't want to name drop because <laughs> i'm probably gonna no, narcissistically okay. put this on my sp- uh, Snapchat again. And, oh yeah, um, that has like a thousand followers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least if one of them listens to it, and yeah, <laughs> maybe well, I don't know. Yeah, but some of them are really assholes. Okay, real assholes, and I kind of had that in mind when I watched this the first time too. I kind of recognized the elements about how people around them can get so smitten with these leaders, yeah, these charismatic definitely. leaders, and just wow, he's so great. Yeah, and when actually he's not. So that was kind of an element that I liked, and I felt like Charles Lawton almost satirizes. Yeah, I think so. Um, he's kind of making fun of them because at the end of the movie they're crazy. Yes. Once they know what Harry Powell is, they go crazy in the opposite direction, and they want to lynch him, and they want to—they mm. go completely mental. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my little Bible anecdote from yeah. <laughs> growing up in <laughs> the south. Trauma. Childhood trauma yeah. from the south. Yeah. <laughs> But um, no, he. Uh, we follow Harry Powell as he rides parallel and he preaches his shit to people. And, w- and we get to see that this is like um, probably set during the Depression. Yeah, I guess so. It certainly feels like it because mm. uh, there's a lot of starvation, a lot of uh, yeah. hunger. and uh, A lot of children on their own. Yeah, children on the run. <laughs> and then we get another of this beautiful, beautiful sequence, which you mentioned previously, where these kids, they they get off their boat. They go up, they go up to this silhouette of a house and yeah. they see this bird cage mm-hmm. it's just a haunting sequence with the uh, music in the background yeah it felt like incredibly lonely yes yeah. really lonely yeah because you just have the silhouette and yeah. no warmth no way for them to enter or anything yeah because i mean obviously it's like black and white so maybe some like uh contrasts wouldn't be so easy to see as if it was in color but it's like all almost all black, isn't it? It's like such a it's like a stark all black kind of field with this very bright white sky, I think. Mm. And just for me, it's like like a lone tree and just kind of like this empty sprawling darkness and the children just alone in this barn. Like it really, it's just like incredible filmmaking for me because just to have that scene alone just make me like feel that loneliness. Yeah. With no dialogue, with no further description or sounds just the image itself making me sort of realize the situation that these kids are in mm. yeah, yeah, really yeah incredible yeah and it is i keep <clears throat> i keep bringing up this um analogy that it's like a nightmare when you're a, ch- a child and I, I that sequence that whole thing reminds me of like a ni- one of the few nightmares that kind of stuck with me when I, when I, a nightmare i had when i was really young mm. and i dreamt that <laughs> for some reason i dreamt that i'd I'd done something I wasn't supposed to, and my father grabbed me and he threw me out the window, and I flew okay out the window and into a deep dark wood. Yeah, and my father has never been violent, <laughs> I should say. Okay. So I don't know where that dream came from. Okay, uh, but I remember in the dream that I was like getting my bearings in this dark woods, and I was completely alone. 
wandering through this woods trying to get back home and mm-hmm. couldn't reach it and that is the same feeling i'm getting from this scene yeah yeah the isolation and yeah. the feeling of being trapped in a world where nobody opens up to you you're just trapped alone in this yeah because they have this like the two siblings have this secret that they only have for each other and in in that way it's also like adding to this theme of isolation yeah like it's them against the world and they Mm. really can't tell anyone about this secret as well so exactly and then you get to when they go into the barn you get that whole the camera is positioned so you see all the the cows and their udders to kind of yeah the image of a pro- projecting an image of motherhood, I yeah. guess, uh, which they now don't have. No, because <laughs> she is at the bottom of the river. She is. Yeah. And they climb up into the attic, they fall asleep, and then comes my favorite sequence of all time when the kid wakes up, the son wakes up, mm-hmm. and he looks out from the barn into the desolate landscape, and you can just see the, the outline of a road in the horizon yep. with the dark sky. And he just hears the singing because Harry Powell has this song that he keeps singing. Mm-hmm. Do you want to sing it, Joe, so they know what it is? I don't remember. <laughs> Do you want to sing <laughs> no, it? No, I don't want to <laughs> sing it. I don't want to sing it. But okay. uh, he has this song that he sings and you can just hear him. They hear You hear the singing and then you see the silhouette over the horizon mm-hmm. on a horse yeah. riding. Just this black silhouette on a horse. With yeah. a, you see the hat and everything. And he's just riding, singing, so that he's he's always out there. Yeah. And then the boy says, uh, "Does he never sleep?" Yeah. Which is so like freaky. Mm-hmm. And then they have to leave again because yeah. he's obviously on their. But then, then, then they escape, and then yes. we go into the last third of the film, which is like a drama. <laughs> yeah. It takes a big, big shift. It takes a big shift, and it's uh, just becomes for me like a drama with slightly thrill element but it then it felt like it's a wonderful life yeah to me but what's the the, the aunt character name i will like, find that for you momentarily let's see here ruby is the girl rachel rachel yeah, rachel, rachel cooper, cooper played by lillian gish the great lillian gish that i was like i was smiling and mm. just having the best time when she came in i loved her character yeah and on top of the, like so much of this film i was just kind of thinking of it in the context of the time that it came out she was such a cool female character to have because the i mean there's like the the ice icy what is she yeah. called and she's like the comic relief the mother and son are sort of like the comic relief she's just like whatever and the mother, very sad that she dies, obviously, is a little she, bit, a little pathetic. This Rachel character, I just thought was so incredible. Like, a single older lady who just, like, fostered all of these young children who don't have homes in this kind of, like, ruling with an iron fist, but, like, heart of gold way. I thought, I just, I thought that was so incredible. Mm. I thought that was a really, really cool character to have. Yeah, she's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And girl boss, <laughs> really girl boss, really yeah. girl boss. Yeah, if she's you're familiar awesome. with girl boss, was that a term? Yeah, I thought you just meant that she was a girl and she was boss, like girl boss. she was cool. It's but like is this a, a Gen Z term it to explain? It's a one one word, girl boss, to explain cool women. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Then she's girl boss. Yeah, <laughs> she really is. And she kind of elevates the last third because the last third, even though it gets really good towards the end, there's like a little portion where yeah. I think it loses me a little bit i think it's a little uh after that great sequence when they're escaping now we're getting like with the teenage daughter who goes to this store and all that stuff yeah. it didn't engage me that much but i liked it though because i felt like it could have been very easily which is a big thing in like a lot of horror and thriller is that it skips this human element right mm. but that the little girl is very little so everything that's happening like oh she's obviously absorbing everything that's happening pearl everything that's happening to her is going in but like outwardly she's probably like three years old or something so she's just very happy just kind of like you know she's so accepting of the pastor of or the preacher of being her new dad and then she's very happy that rachel is her new mum. but for john who's the older brother 
I really enjoyed that they gave or dedicated time for him to kind of let him have a new mother figure and obviously he's been through this really traumatic thing and had this like very hardened thing because his dad made him make this like very terrible promise Hmm. that's basically made them end up in this situation I really enjoyed that it like gave that opportunity for them to develop that relationship and him to like put his trust in an adult again and I thought that was really really beautiful I love when Harry Powell finds out where they are and he shows up and he does his spiel again Mm -hmm. and he thinks that this um, Rachel she's just like every other woman woman he's met he can easily manipulate her Mm -hmm. and he does the love and she doesn't even let him finish when he starts the love hate thing she just immediately just interrupts him she's just like no yep and she trusts the boy when the boy says it's not he ain't my dad Mm -hmm. and she's just like i knew it yep and uh when harry powell tries to chase the boy under the porch she comes out with a shotgun and chases him away it's so cool it is I so could even cool. hear like audible gasps in the theater yeah. when we watched it last night. I just was, mm. I wasn't expecting it, you know, like I know how women are shown in this mm. time period and it was really exciting to see such a girl boss character. Yeah, it's so cool. With a gun, but I just loved it. When she yeah. brought out that gun, I was like beaming. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought it was so cool. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And he, he's, <coughs> he knows at this point that he has to she like shocked yeah he's shocked yeah. so he escapes and there's something really in, uh, you don't get to know that much about her character but you get to know just enough that yeah she she has this kind of tragic backstory like lost her husband and no yeah she's she says something child, like I she think. lost the love of her child oh yeah okay and then later there's a scene where she goes out into the mailbox and it's kind of played for laughs because she goes to the mailbox and she, oh, is there a Christmas card for me? And then, oh, no, nothing. But then mm. just as well, they only brag about how rich they are and she leaves. Mm. So it's played for laughs, but it kind of gives this sad undercurrent to, okay, yeah. maybe her son didn't die. Maybe something happened and mm-hmm. he just left her. And she's yeah. just left alone and and she finds comfort in taking care of these children. Yeah. So, But it just, it, she's just such a beautiful character. Mm. Really, like caring for the children and also like really standing up for themselves and being this like great mentor like there's this ruby character who's Mm. like this kind of uh i want to say dopey yeah she's (laughs) a teenager she's just a teenager she's she's like trying uh, to fall in love and mm. date guys she looked for love in the only way she knew how yeah i thought that was rachel says that was such a good line but we can come now to when she uh oh yes saves the day she saves the day. She's so badass. Um, yeah. Because um, there's this great scene where she's sitting. Um, and I remember watching the scene and I kind of recognized the silhouette, mm-hmm. the way she's framed. Couldn't really place where. But then I read um, a review from Roger Ebert, I think. And Your he, favorite. My favorite. Yeah. And he pointed out that um, he pointed out that she's framed as uh, the painting Whistler's mother. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. It's the exact same, but with the twist that she's holding a shotgun. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Which is really cool. Yeah. And then when they sing, they start. She start. He starts to sing and his trademark song. Yeah. And she joins. Mm. And so it becomes a duet. Mm-hmm. But then, and this, I wish I could take this credit for this observation, but again, it was Roger Ebert. I believe that's where I read it. Okay. Um, because she sings, um, leaning on Jesus, while he yeah. just sings, leaning on. So she oh, yeah. corrects him, mm. which kind of implies that um, he does. He's never known the correct version of that song, and yeah. she does, and she corrects him mm-hmm. when they sing. That's very cool. Which is really nice. It's kind of power move from her. Yeah. And that whole sequence is also one of the great sequences because you can see him sitting outside yeah. the window, just lurking like a wolf. Mm-hmm. And there's just this back and forth them singing, this haunting, beautiful, beautiful uh, visual yeah. composition. And then uh, Ruby comes. I think it's Ruby or someone else of the children with a light. Yes. And then when she there's a candle, and when she blows out the candle, he's gone from the window. Mm. And then when she says, "Okay, come on, children," then he's inside the house. He's inside the house. And, uh, and she's kind she's of marching around with the shotgun, keeping them in the kitchen. She's like uh, telling them the story of of Jesus of the something. Um, <laughs> no. When uh, I think she tells him the story about when um, when. Um, 
all of Jerusalem had to be written into this uh, cal this people calculus oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I can't really remember the details no, of that story. I don't, know I I don't think up. Jesus was born <laughs> at that time. I think that was before Jesus was born because I think that's why they escaped and ended up in the stable. Yeah, that's the one. Oh. They're, they're telling like, uh, yes. like them escaping because the king knew that the next king was gonna, next king of kings was gonna dethrone him or whatever. Exactly. So yeah, so he yeah, tells I, that story, which know. is appropriate because it's almost Christmas in yeah. the movie, mm -hmm. and uh, and then you hear the voice of Harry Powell again, and we see a cat coming down the stairs. Yes. And then that's what happens. Harry Powell steps on the cat. Mm -hmm. So he reveals his position and she shoots him. Yep. And then he immediately transforms back into that scared, pathetic animal mm -hmm. that he's been shown to be previously. He just yeah. runs out into the barn. Just, ah! <laughs> and um, he just, it just takes all air out of the character. Yeah. It's the, um, the same move that I guess Tarantino uses in Death Proof when Kurt Russell at the end gets beaten up by these girls he starts to cry and he starts to he just becomes like this totally pathetic character mm -hmm. once he previously was a pretty cool villain yeah and it's the same in this one in night of the hunter yeah he he just falls from his throne and becomes yeah. this pathetic animal hiding mm -hmm. in the barn and i like that line when she calls the police and then they're like why didn't you call a sooner and she's like i didn't want you tracking mud in my house yeah or something <laughs> like i thought that was it's so cool yeah and then she uh, she tells them to mind where they're sh they they're shooting because because they're boy they're children here, mm -hmm. implying she just wants them to <laughs> Take kill him. Yeah. yeah, and then we get the scene where uh, the um, where the uh, where the boy um, John. gets re-traumatized as yeah. they arrest Harry, and he he has the same uh, he says the same lines as when his uh, father gets arrested. Yes, yeah. exactly the same. Don't don't. Which I, when I watched it the first time, I didn't really understand that. But now I kind of just interpret it as him just being re-traumatized. But I still th still think it's a little bit weird because he doesn't have the relationship with Harry Powell as with his father, you would assume. But I guess he's watching the same thing happen, so... Yeah, that's probably why. Yeah. And then he doesn't want to ID him. <clears throat> probably because he doesn't want to partake in any of this. He doesn't want to be a no. part of, of them hanging Harry Powell. He just no. wants to get out of this hole because he... He has no trust in adults at this point, mm -hmm. except for Rachel. Yeah. So, and, and and that's when we get the return of the the great icy character. <laughs> yeah, when she's hang him. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they're they're pitchforks, and yeah. they and they just there's the children, and they go yeah. mad. Yeah. And uh, Rachel just takes these children away back to the safety of her house. Yeah. And, and then we get the kind of it's a wonderful life sequence at yeah. the end. Everyone getting Christmas presents and Yeah, and the and the nice little um cute little detail when he doesn't have a Christmas present for her, so he goes out and he gets the apple. Yeah. And he just makes this sort of thing out of a mm -hmm. cloth. Yeah. Which is really nice. That's like what kids would do. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, and we get that beautiful speech at the end. Yeah kids they uh they abide and they endure yeah which like is really they're, nice they're the best of us they're the best of us yeah mm -hmm. oh such a good movie i got yeah. goosebumps now yeah. that we went through the ending again mm. Mm. great movie it is a great movie yeah. it's such a shame he didn't make any can you imagine know, what he would have made i know it's so sad this was his first movie what a strong debut i know i wonder why people didn't like it oh i i know why i think uh, I mean, not only is it really like pushing boundaries mm. with its content, but it also satirizes religion, or at least the way people follow. Yeah. Because it is a religious movie. Because they do introduce this uh, Rachel character, who also is Christian. But that was like fun. So it kind of yeah, it's a fun Christianity. <laughs> so it redeems the religion, the religious aspect yeah, by introducing her. This is like nice stories. Yes, but it still kind of shows how easily people are misled. And almost like a microcosm of the U.S., how <laughs> easy people can yeah. get uh, seduced into mm -hmm. these um, these uh, crazy charismatic people. Yep. So uh, I guess people didn't like that. They all. It's also it stands out from a lot of the fare that come. Out. I, this was around a time where people started to experiment and started to becoming a little bit more brave. Like mm -hmm. you had 
<clears throat> I think in the same year as this one, you had Robert Aldrich came out with Kiss Me Deadly, which is another like a film noir that basically becomes the first neo-noir because it, mm. it destroys whatever that came before by being completely insane. Okay. And um, taking the genre in completely new directions. So this was around the time where people started to experiment, but mostly it was still pretty safe, fair. And Night of the Hunter is not safe, fair. Yeah. Oh, well. But it is great. Then I guess and everyone tonight should go and pray <laughs> to... Um, Charles Lawton's ghost in heaven. Yes. And hope that he receives the message that we all love his film. Yeah, and pray to Robert Mitchum as well. Yeah. Because he gave us this, he gave us all these great characters, but he gave us this great villain. Yeah. And he didn't have, in his, he, he lived like up into the mid-90s. Oh, really? Yeah, he did. He was the, narr if, have you watched Tombstone? No. Or one of the cool Western, early 90s Westerns with Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. Mm -hmm. and Robert Mitchum provides the narrator voice. Hmm. Hmm. That's a little fun fact for the tombstone lovers out there. <laughs> I am one, yeah. but he did mostly like B-movies towards the end of his career. Sure. But he did, he did one of his last big starring roles, I guess, was in um, Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Have you seen that one? No. No. It's a cool Western. Yeah. With Johnny Depp. I feel maybe I'd, want to say that the only western that i might have seen is back to the future 3 if that's a western oh god <laughs> is that a western you need to get it out of this house right now okay <laughs> <laughs> that is horrible you need to do a western themed episode oh i saw uh um uh what's it called what's it called the uh javier bottom javier bottom film isn't that a western which one? No we Country for Old Men? Yeah. That's like a modern Western. Okay. You need to watch it. Well, if I get my way, we're doing the program meeting in the club. Mm. For those of you who don't know, the program meeting is when we um, curate the film program for the following semester mm -hmm. where we put all the movies that we want in the program. And it's yeah. always a very, very painful process where we negotiate and we argue. And we try to, in no the movies. pursuit of the perfect program. Yeah. Yes. It's like a perfect set list. Yeah. Yes. And uh, if I get my way, we'll mm -hmm. get a Western okay. on this year's. If not... Is Calamity Jane a Western? Maybe. I haven't watched it. But Calamity <gasps> Jane was a real character. She lived... So I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. yeah, it's a, probably a Western. It's a musical. Oh. Musical well, Calamity Western. Jane was a real person, <laughs> Joe. She was not a musical. She was a real person. And she's... Calamity Jane is also featured in the great, great TV show called Deadwood, which okay. ran for three seasons on HBO. It's one of the most well-written yeah, dramas uh, you'll ever see. They just uh, recommended it on a podcast I was listening to, mm. so it's in my, in my brain. Somewhere. It has the great British treasure known as Ian McShane in a fantastic lead role. Mm, okay. Well, thank you for coming back and talking all about this film. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has. We... I think we gave the movie its justice. Yeah. Yes. Hopefully the ghost of Charles Lawton is listening. Yes. Somewhere. Probably. Hopefully. Probably. Because God is real and so is Christianity. Yes. Yeah. And that's that. Thank you again very much to Bendik for joining on this episode. He, he is a great guest. He is very passionate about film and very knowledgeable. Uh, so I'd love to have him back and it was very fun so thanks for that and it was very fun to talk about this film I didn't really realize how much I liked it until we were like really talking about it and that's uh, very cool but to finish uh, as I keep forgetting we have some uh, mixed letterbox reviews to close the episode so here are some five star reviews from Shane McAvoy McAvoy Imagine making one movie and it's the best movie, and that's so true. Um, from Nia Ching, a five-star review. Flawless movie, but Kevin McAllister from Home Alone would wipe the floor with this guy, and that's uh, pretty darn true. And you know what? I'm not even going to do the half-star reviews because 
the points that they made were stupid. Like, uh, it gave them a headache, stereotypical portrayal of Southerners. Um, yeah. But that's that. Thank you very much for listening. Next week, we have a bit of a special uh, episode. Uh, the Robisk Film Festival is happening in Bergen in a couple of weeks. And we are going to be blessed by two of the board members from that film festival to talk to us all about our film and how to put together a film festival and all of that exciting stuff. So you have that to look forward to. I'm very excited for that. But thank you very much for listening. This has been The Real Thing. I have been Joel Lawrence, your host. Thank you and goodbye. This has been a Bergen Film Club production. Our music is by Wise John. Check them out on Instagram at WISE John Official. Our logo is by Pierre Sophia Brentesen. This episode was produced, mixed, and engineered by Joe Lawrence. Our researchers are Inke Schilfgaibern and Mamina Nazmajit. Want to talk to us about films? Then please send us an email at podcast at bergenfilmclub.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at TheRealThingPod. Check us out on Letterboxd at BFK The Real Thing. Thank you and goodbye. Listen, follow, leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts.